This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 210, Comic Talk Spotlight on Marvel's What If. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 210. It's the Comic Talk Spotlight episode on Marvel's What If. I am your host, Adam Chapman. Uh, today, we're going to be taking a look at uh, some of the uh, What If comics that Marvel's published over the years. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do this as a series or not. We'll see how this episode goes and see how far I get and how much uh, um, tangents I go on. Uh, so every week on our non-reviews episodes, we like to take a look at various different comic topics or heroics topics or movie topics, depending on the week. Uh, so today we're going to take a look at uh, Marvel's What If comic. Now, I've always been a huge fan of the What If concept, uh, which is really a, kind of a simple concept. Um, the What If comic started in 1977. Uh, the first volume ran from uh, 77 to 84, and it uh, I believe it ran... Let's see, 47 issues. Um, And then Volume 2 started in 89, and that's the one I remember reading when I was a kid. Um, And I remember going to my first few comic shows, uh, sorry, comic conventions. Uh, People in Canada know the Fan Expo is the largest convention in Canada. It's quite a large convention. It has a lot of different things, uh, both comics, etc. I remember going and it was the, I think it was called the Canadian National Comic Book Expo. And I think I started going in like the second year of it. Um, I haven't actually gone to Fan Expo in a few years, which I know is kind of weird and I feel like a heretic for that. But um, it just it become less about comics more about everything else. And I just like the comics. And um, Plus, as a kid, you don't have as many comics. You have very limited money. So I remember going to this convention. It was like $5 to get in or something. Now it's like 40 something. Like it's ridiculous. Uh, but I remember going in for like one day on like a Sunday, you know, trying to get as good deals as you could, uh, trying to find issues here and there. I remember going through Wizard Magazine and finding issues that might be worth something because as your kid, that's what kind of what you're thinking about. You don't really, not really thinking. You're like, oh, I got to look for these first appearances or I got to look for this, got to look for that. And it was just this great hunt. Um, as I got older, I kind of bought a lot of the comics I wanted and then I started buying collected editions and I just felt like I, I needed less. So I would go to comic book shows and I'd just be a little bit less interested because I wasn't looking for anything anymore. Uh, I didn't have a hunt. Maybe if I knew something I really, really wanted, uh, I'd be looking for that. But other than that, like that was... And even for years, I remember uh, 2008, I was at Wizard World Philly and I was... Uh, I found a few of the parts of the Iron Man storyline called Hands of the Mandarin, which was like the first Iron Man storyline I'd ever really read. I only read one part of it because I got a I got one of the issues as part of like a two pack that was a gift on my like I don't know tenth birthday, eleventh birthday, um, maybe even less than that actually. I think it was around ninety three, so I would have been like nine or maybe ten. Uh, I remember and I remember reading I think it was like chapter three and I was like so enthralled and I never read anything else and so I was like I'm gonna find these chapters. And this is very classic, Adam. Uh, I found most of the issues except for, I think, one or two. And I'm like, well, if I can't buy all six issues, I'm not going to buy it at all, which is so stupid. But I also didn't, like, I hadn't, I knew it was harder to find those issues. Uh, so what was the point of, of kind of getting started and not being able to finish it? Uh, as a side note, uh, a couple of years ago, Marvel actually put out a trade paperback of Iron Man and War Machine, Hands of the Mandarin. So I finally got to have that complete collection on my bookshelf, which thrilled my 10-year-old self to no end. Anyways, back to What If. Um, so volume one of What If is uh, probably not my favorite volume, but it has some, a lot of good stories. So for those who don't know, the original kind of format of What If was generally that the Watcher of the Watcher would be the narrator and saying, you know, this is how things happen in the regular reality. Um, actually, I should actually preface, 
one of the reasons I'm even talking about what if at all is that um, a fan of the show and listener, uh, Matt Miller, had I was talking to him the other day on, on Facebook, and we we're talking about back and forth about you know ideas for episodes, etc. And he was mentioning that uh, he was wondering about the term six one six, and so the what Paul and I in, in the past will just bandy about certain numbers for different realities. So for those who don't know, because I forget that you know it's not everyone knows what six one six even means. Uh, so 616 is the prime reality that most Marvel comic stories are told on, unless it's Ultimate Universe or, you know, 1602 or something like that. But generally speaking, the prime regular continuity that you're reading is is from reality 616. So the idea is, and I, I, I know this about in Cabernet, but I can't remember the writer at the time. might have been Alan Moore, might not have been. Uh, feel free to correct me. Um, they basically classified the different realities so that, uh, in that book, because the Captain Britain Corps exists in all these different realities, and they all have members of the Captain Britain Corps on those realities, and it's part of this Marvel multiverse, which is becoming more and more of a big thing these days. Not the Captain Britain Corps, but the idea of the Marvel multiverse in general is uh, probably being embraced more than ever before. Um, so every kind of reality has been given a designation, or theoretically a designation. So whenever I pan- bandy about and say, well, this is what's going on in the 616... This is what's happening in the in the regular reality, the prime reality, the one that most of the books that Marvel publishes are based on. Uh, so thinking about that is what made me think about What If, because What If has a, a lot of the books, uh, a lot of the What If issues, a lot of them have, in different Marvel encyclopedias, been given numbers now. So a lot of them have new designations. Now, there will be an episode where I might kind of go through some of the most popular alternate realities and just kind of mentioning what the numbers are, where where to read comics based on those realities, etc., but for this issue, I'm, this issue, this episode, I'm just going to talk about what if purely. So the first issue of what if uh, is a very famous one. Uh, it's the, the classic what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four. So it's introduced by Watcher the Watcher, uh, basically saying, you know, this is how things happen in the re- prime reality. But what if things happened a little differently? And what I like about the first issue is it really kind of sets the stage, saying, you know, in all these different realities, for every action, there is a reality where something else happened. Um, now, this first issue, it's written and edited by Roy Thomas, and our work is by uh, Jim Craig. So, Roy Thomas uh, is probably like, the best person to be doing something like this. I mean, he, you know, it's kind of like uh, the ultimate fan expression, because you read a story and you're like, well, what if that had gone differently? That's very fan reaction, right? So, Roy Thomas, in a lot of ways, is like the the biggest fan, uh, because, you know, he was the fan who made good before any others did. Um, of comics, and so this comic is a lot of fun because it's all about Spider-Man having joined the Fantastic Four, and their adventures going differently because Spider-Man's there. Um, his Spider-Man's own solo adventures are different. Uh, the you know everything is different. Now that being said, it's not necessarily a happy ending, and that's that's one thing as well is that a lot of these realities end up not having the greatest um, kind of resolutions. And certain there's a, a lot of them are kind of maudlin. Uh, but yeah, this What If uh, Spider-Man Joined the Fantastic Four is probably one of the most famous What Ifs, um, if not the most famous. Uh, and technically, this uh, this uh, is designated Earth-772. And I've heard that there's some sort of correlation in how they do some of the numbers based on the year and month um, that it was originally published. Uh, like, for example, 772, uh, this might be from... 1977 in February. Uh, I'd have to double check if that's even possible. That is possibly what it is. I remember reading recently, yeah, it started in February 1977. So the fact that it's that reality, 772, makes sense. Uh, the year, then the month. 
That's not necessarily always the case, but it generally seems to be in this particular one. Uh, these, uh, what's interesting, too, is that we eventually kind of got other... You, know, you have sequels to this. Uh, what If Volume 2, Number 35, is a bit of an alternate sequel to this concept. Paradise X Heralds also kind of does that. Um, and it's a very popular concept. And obviously, Spider-Man eventually did join the Fantastic Four as they've heard of the new Fantastic Four by Walt Simonson around the, what, issue 350, uh, as well as he was in the Future Foundation. So a lot of these things end up kind of happening. I mean, there's only so many comic book ideas in some ways, and so eventually they kind of come around to things. Um, the second issue, uh, I'm not going to go through every issue, but the, the, especially the first volume, a lot of these are kind of more well-known. Uh, it's What If the Hulk Has the Had the Brain of Bruce Banner, and that's kind of interesting, too, because we've essentially had that. I mean, here you have this kind of uh, version of Hulk who's more childlike. However, in this alternate reality, instead, he's still Banner. Um, he's not just a mindless character. Um, and again, we kind of have that in continuity, that we've had a lot of different versions of, uh, of the Hulk that has intelligence, who has Bruce Banner's mind, Um yeah, it's definitely interesting to see, you know, these things eventually come around. Uh, although it's interesting, too, just to see how eventually, you know, things are not so great for the thing in this particular version. Uh, in issue three, you had What If the Avengers Had Never Been, um, which kind of showing that, you know, when Hulk uh, takes off, you know, what if, what if the, Hulk, the Avengers weren't together? What would happen? Uh, how bad would the universe be? And also, it's interesting because Iron Man basically kind of does the Avengers on, him, on his own in this issue. Um, instead of having a team, we just it's basically just Iron Man going up against the Hulk instead of uh, everyone kind of teaming up together. Um, very intriguing. Uh, let's see. Now, it's interesting, too, I want to mention about the creative teams. So this the second issue, um, which was all about what if the Hulk was... Uh, but had the brain of Bruce Banner, was written again by Roy Thomas, and Herb Trimpey was the illustrator. So you had really top-flight creative teams, because Herb Trimpey is nothing to be sneezed at, and Roy Thomas, especially in this era, was still a very good writer, and still working actively. Um, the third issue, again, was co-plotted by uh, Jim Shooter and Gil Kane. So again, that is uh, quite the team. Jim Shooter writing, Gil Kane doing artwork. I mean, that's, again, very solid. Uh, issue four, I've always enjoyed. It's what if the invaders had, had stayed together after World War II? Uh, of course, it's by Roy Thomas. I mean, really, you can't be surprised by that, considering how much he loves this kind of era. Um, and then you got Frank Robbins on art, and just kind of seeing what how things go, and that uh, you know Steve Rogers uh, is kind of not lost, and have wait, am I totally off base here? Um, let's see. No, that's right. There, it still has the, the different characters. What's interesting is that essentially, um, we ended up kind of seeing stuff like this because, I mean, we've seen invader stories during World War II after Captain America is gone. And this just expanded on the idea that they, they kept going. Um, when the invaders book would eventually come about, it kind of felt like it captured some of this magic. So again, seeing something that was done in a what if ended up kind of, kind of happening. Um, Issue number five, what if Captain America hadn't vanished during World War II? Uh, now, this is where you start getting different creative teams. Don Glett, I do not know that as a writer. Um, and George Tuska is the artist. Now, Tuska, I know. Um, moving forward, we've got uh, issue six is probably 
a, a very fun issue. What if the Fantastic Four had different superpowers? So it's very kind of different version of the team. Again, Roy Thomas back on uh, on scripting uh, with a very different version of the FF. Um, man, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm losing myself because I'm just kind of going through. I've read so many of these original What If issues, but it has been a while. Um, so I'm just kind of looking at them and being like, man, what even happens here? Um What's interesting is that the the Hulk with the brain of Bruce Banner well, from issue two is Earth seven seven four. Um, the What If the Fantastic Four had different superpowers? This t- version of the team reappeared in uh, What If Volume Two, uh, number thirty nine, and it was designated seven seven one two is the reality. Um, now, what's interesting is that issue seven is all about what if someone else besides Spider Man had been bitten by the radioactive spider. It's kind of funny because. And we've, we see, I feel like that's a, um, a trope that they've gone back to a lot in terms of, you know, what if this had happened? Or even now we have Silk, a character who actually did get bitten by the radioactive spider in addition to Peter instead of being, you know, kind of an either-or. Uh, what I like about this one is more of it's an anthology because we see what would have happened if Flash Thompson had gotten bit, if Betty Brand had gotten bitten, and if what if uh, John uh, Jameson had been bitten. Uh, then... In every story except for Betty's, uh, they, the main protagonist dies, which is, again, very dark for the period. Um, what if comics in general in Volume 2 would always get very dark, uh, especially later on in the run? Like It was kind of the worst-case scenario, generally. They weren't always happy. I like the what-ifs that are happier, which the Volume 1, you're more likely to see those. Volume 2, especially later in the run, uh, it actually dropped the what if blah 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 happened. It was just called what if starring a character. Uh, and it, they dropped the Watcher. Um, this little things that happen way down the road. But it gets a lot more serious, a lot darker. Again, not surprising given the fact that it's in the late 80s, early 90s. And that becomes the trend. Is to target these darker, more sinister stories. And there's less kind of hopefulness in some of these what ifs. Um... Uh, what's interesting is that the Flash Thompson as Spider-Man story would kind of be redone in What If Volume 276, but again, much darker. Um, issue number eight is What If the World Knew Daredevil Was Blind? Again, everyone knows that now. It's just kind of funny to look at these stories and see what's been done now. Um, so obviously in the current continuity, everyone knows that Daredevil's blind because Matt Murdock kind of spill the beans on everything. Everyone knows everything about his powers. So it's just sitting interesting to see that as early as 78, you had uh, Marvel kind of telling these stories about what if people knew this about Daredevil. Um, in fact, it's the branching off point is very early on in Daredevil's career uh, before he's really even fought uh, Electro, or as he's still fighting Electro for the first time. Uh, and things don't go well for Daredevil because people kind of knowing his weakness and knowing that he's blind and being able to kind of torture him. And again... Daredevil's powers and his abilities weren't as refined as they would later be either. But his life definitely seems to do fairly well, um, considering that like, he becomes like the DA, and like his life kind of goes better as a result of people knowing his weakness, which is kind of interesting. Again, this, this is the type of thing where later on you wouldn't, you wouldn't see a happy ending. You would see anything but a happy ending. Uh, issue number nine is, what if the Avengers had fought evil during the 1950s? Uh, now, this is, again, a popular concept, and the fact that we've had, what, Avengers 1959, which is a different version of the Avengers in the 59 era, uh, you also have this team. Um, what's interesting is that this this reality that we see here is it's more of an untold history, um, 
but then other writers would eventually kind of relegate it to a what if more so um let's see a version of the time of this particular timeline was seen in avengers forever by kurt Busiek, where he had the same characters as the avengers it wasn't explicitly this version but it was definitely inspired by uh, what happened in what if number nine um, and again, this version made a, a version of these of 1950s Avengers also made a cameo in Paradise Axe Heralds, which was again a lot about parallel realities. Um, issue number 10, which is only funny because of they hadn't retconned certain aspects of Thor yet, is what if Jane Foster had found the hammer of Thor? Now, at the time, Donald Blake was transformed to Thor, uh, and they kind of showed that you know it was to earn humility, but. The idea here is that what if Jane Foster found it and she's worthy and so she becomes Thor. It's a famous cover. Because, well, to be honest, it's a it's the same original Journey and Mystery cover of Thor, but now it's a, a female version on the cover. Uh, it's interesting that we've never really had a female Thor until now in the comics, actually. Uh, but uh, and th- this issue by again Don Glut wrote a bunch of these and uh, Rick Hopper Hoberg on art. Uh, the art is definitely of, um, and this is generally true of in this entire volume, is very much of the kind of the Marvel house style of the time. Uh, if you look at it, it's not necessarily that uh, that amazing in terms of art, but it's very kind of classic looking. Um, like it looks like, you know, from any kind of Marvel book at that particular time. It's interesting to see um, Thor, like this kind of Thor girl, uh, joining the... Um, joining the Avengers, kind of being equal, um, etc. I I really kind of enjoy this type of story because it's just a different take, different take on the character. And it's also interesting to see 70s versions of like Odin, etc., who were very different. Uh, issue number uh, 11 of What If is, again, one of the more memorable ones from the first volume, which is What If the Original Marvel Bullpen Had Become the Fantastic Four, which is hilarious. Um... So instead of it being the actual Fantastic Four, instead you've got uh, Stanley turning into Mr. Fantastic, you have Jack Kirby turning into The Thing, uh, Flo Steinberg turning into Invisible Woman, and Saul, I guess, I forget his last name. Um, and it's interesting is that this issue is written and illustrated and edited by none other than Jack Kirby, um, which is definitely an interesting uh, thing to see, that he was actually kind of involved with you know, an FF of some kind. And it's kind of interesting that he would even bother doing something like this because, you know, uh, at one point him and Stan were on the best terms. He's doing this kind of fun romp where him, Stan, and the rest of the kind of original bullpen become the Fantastic Four. Uh, a silly, fun, kind of in-jokey story. Um, it's kind of cool to see Stan Lee as Mr. Fantastic and getting into action, going up against all these villains. Uh definitely an interesting take uh and very different because that that was one of the ones that really has no basis like everything else was kind of you know it all had a jumping off point like the avengers had never formed Uh, spider-man joined the fantastic four like he was about to an amazing spider-man one the hulk having the the brain of bruce banner at that core moment of his origin um but the fact that the original marvel bullpen is completely different so it's a it's a very off the beaten path kind of concept uh, issue 12, Rick Jones had become the Hulk. Again, we've seen Rick Jones become the Hulk later on in that continuity. We've also seen him become Abomination, or A-Bomb, if you want to call him. So again, 
eventually ideas that are in what ifs will some at some point be co-opted and turned into the main continuity i just think it's fascinating to look back at these what ifs and and come across this what's interesting too is uh, sal busama does artwork in this issue does a great job on the hulk which is not a surprise since he was He's remembered as being both a great artist and spectacular Spider-Man and for his long run on the Hulk as well. Issue uh, 13 of uh, What If uh, Volume 1 has uh, Conan, uh, which is Conan, What If the Conan the Barbarian Walked the Earth Today, uh, written by Roy Thomas, artworked by John, Bus- John Buscema. Um, again, John Buscema, fantastic artist. It's really awesome seeing him um, you know, take on... Uh, Conan in the current in kind of the current continuity of the day. Uh, it's interesting too because uh, I can't remember what interview I, I read, but uh, he meets this this hard talking cab driver named Dan, I think Danny. Uh, anyways, it's patterned after his wife, or I don't know if she was his wife at the time, but uh, she eventually would be. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see him kind of adding her as a character, and Conan kind of being current continuity is a cool concept. Um, seeing him kind of really kind of run amok in New York. Although it's interesting that in this version of the continuity, there really are no other heroes. Um, then we have uh, issue 14, what if Sergeant Fury had fought World War II in space? Again, I love this kind of stuff. It's by Gary Friedrich on plot, Don Glut on script, Herb Trimpey and art. Um, a very kind of classic looking book where now you have you know, Nick Fury leading the Howling Commandos in space. It's kind of silly, fun story. It's interesting, too, again, with everything that happened in Original Sin, we now have the idea that Nick Fury being a kind of a space soldier is actually a part of continuity now, which, again, at the time would have been more patently ludicrous. Uh, issue 15, what if Nova had been four other people? Um, again, Nova was still quite new at the time. So... Uh, it examines the, the fact that it was kind of random that Richard Rider even became Nova, and so it looks at what would have would have happened if it had gone to someone else. So the other people were a vengeful wife whose was husband had been murdered, a uh, kind homeless black man in a universe with no superheroes, Peter Parker in a world where the radioactive spider crippled him instead of giving him powers, and then an unknown character with a villainous personality. Um, so they did, again, they were already starting to do a little bit more of the anthology at times when they didn't have like a a good kind of uh, an entire concept they would kind of do these shorter concepts and again the character was still quite young at this point because i think what didn't nova start around 77 78 the fact that they even were bothering to already make a kind of a a what if based on nova is kind of surprising um but very cool and i mean the issue itself is by marv wolfman um which is uh i believe the guy who created him in the original i'm just double checking Sometimes I say things, and yeah, Marv Wolfman and John Buscema created Nova in September 1976. So already by, you know, um, within a few years, you have, you know, them already re-examining something that was relatively current. And this is something in the modern day that we'll see more and more of, is that we don't have an ongoing what-if book anymore, but generally speaking, there'll be like kind of a a series of one-shots every year or something like that. And they often just look at recent events. Uh, as opposed to just like little stories, which they used to, or a branching off point in a, in a char- character's continuity. Instead, they're looking at what if a big event had gone the other way. Um, so, Marv Wolfman and John Buscema worked on this "What If" issue. So, it's kind of cool to see the original creative team uh, of the um, of the Nova book doing the "What If." Uh, seeing the female version of Nova is very cool. Uh, it reminds me of the what the Kree soldier who became um, a Nova during uh, Annihilation Conquest. Um, then you have 
the Peter Parker story is kind of a fun one. Uh, so Peter Parker doesn't go so well as a result of what happened uh, at the spider bite. Um, and then, um, what's her name? May, May Parker is in like bad case as well. I think she ends up dying. I can't remember. Yeah, she dies because of what ha- the trauma that happened to Peter Parker. Peter Parker's freaking out. Although I don't know how he meets Betty Brant, but whatever. Uh, without the spider bite. And then uh, eventually he is chosen to become the new Nova. And suddenly he's not crippled anymore. And he ends up uh, accidentally killing the burg- another burglar who tries to kill Uncle Ben. Um, and decides not to kind of be this hero because he's not good at it. Uh, so it's interesting, again, interesting takes on it. Uh, issue 16 was Shang-Chi. What if Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu, fought on, the, fought on the side of Fu Manchu? Again, this would have been very much of the era. Um, and this was written by Doug Munch and artwork by Rick Hoberg. Um, I've never been a huge fan of Shang-Chi, so, I mean, it's kind of a cool concept, but I just don't care as much. Uh, issue 17, again, another kind of anthology. What if Ghost Rider, Spider-Woman, Captain Marvel were villains? Three all-new tales of fantastic wonder to boggle your mind. Uh, these issues were kind of getting a little bit thicker because they had more story. Uh, Stephen Graham wrote this the script. However, the art is, Car- is by Carmine Infantino, uh, which is kind of cool to see him on a Marvel book because you usually think of him as more being a DC artist. Um his Spider Woman is very much like the original Spider Woman in terms of like the cowl. Um, yeah, not my very favorite version of the character, but very classic looking. Uh, issue 18 What if Doctor Strange were a disciple of Dormammu? This is kind of a cool concept, basically saying what if he went the other way. Um, unfortunately, it's kind of by a lot of people that no one knows. Peter Gillis is the writer, Tom Sutton is the illustrator. Um, and again, just shows what if the origin went the other way? What if. Uh, you know, he ended up not becoming a disciple of the Ancient One, but instead of Dormammu, and went the other way. And it kind of, he's still involved in Eternity and other characters, but it's just interesting to see how he goes differently. Um, although he still kind of looks the same. Uh, he doesn't look that different. Uh, and it's interesting to see how he kind of goes kind of crazy. But even as starting as a bad guy, he eventually becomes a good guy, which is, again, kind of an uplifting ending. Uh, issue 19... Um, what if Spider-Man had never become a crime fighter and Uncle Ben is alive and Spider-Man's in the spotlight, um, which is very cool. Uh, and again, that changing that core piece of his history. What if Uncle Ben hadn't died? What would happen to Peter Parker? Because Peter Parker's big heel turn into becoming a hero was as a result of his Uncle Ben dying. So if Uncle Ben's not dead, then he just goes on to become this famous kind of movie star and not really being a hero. Uh, and other people kind of get inspired by that as well to not be heroes, but instead be these, you know, bigger than life kind of um, popular entertainment characters. Uh, issue 20, what if the Avengers fought the Kree Skrull War without Rick Jones? So again, this is already, this is what, 1980? So they're going back to what, early, late 60s, early 70s um, storyline and kind of saying, what if this went differently? Um, unfortunately, this is something that we start to do more and more of in the future with these big events being uh, the focus of these what-if issues. Um, it's interesting to see how it works out differently, who gets involved. You have like, Xavier's involved, which he never was before. Um, things don't quite go nearly as well for certain characters, uh, but Captain Marvel's in it more because he's not kind of trapped on the other side. Uh, it's definitely interesting. And then you move on to uh, issue one, sorry, issue 21 of Volume 1, which is what if Fantastic Four 
What if an invisible, invisible girl of the Fantastic Four married the Submariner? And this is basically, more or less, I believe supposed to be kind of more of a continuation of what you saw in issue one. So they're already kind of revisiting the well to kind of show what happens next. It's also showing the popularity of the concept of what if, saying people like seeing what happens in these what ifs. Well, what happens next after that? Uh, now, this is only a big deal because what if 105 uh, in volume two which is probably one of my favorite issues of What If, because of what it means and what it meant for a certain character. Uh, it was written by uh, Tom DeFalco, and it would introduce the character Spider-Girl, uh, the daughter of Spider-Man, and it was such a popular concept that it ended up becoming kind of the backbone of its own universe, uh, something called the Marvel, well, MC2, um, which originally is interesting. It was originally supposed to be called Excelsior Comics, but then they ended up branding it as the MC2 and originally had three three titles, which was Spider-Girl, A-Next, and J2. And then they canceled J2 and A-Next and after issues 12. And then they brought up the Wild Thing, the daughter of Elektra and Wolverine, and uh, Fantastic Five. Uh, Spider-Girl kept going and eventually would become Amazing Spider-Girl and lasted a long time before it finally petered out. Well, not petered out, but it was finally canceled because it didn't quite have the sales it needed which is too bad because it was a great concept, but it all came from a what-if. Uh, so the idea that um, people would really enjoy a specific version of what-if and then those characters could either show up or be spun off somewhere else is definitely something you're starting to see as early as 1980. Uh, as I'm looking at this, and we're about, what, 30 minutes in, and we're about halfway through the first volume of What If, so I have a feeling that this might be an ongoing series because um, the second volume is, as, as, as I said, 114 issues. Uh, if I'm going to do that in any kind of detail, it's going to be a few episodes worth. I hope that you're going to enjoy these What If spotlights. Um, next up is uh, What If number 22, which is What If uh, Doctor Doom Had Become a Hero. Again, we've kind of seen this stuff before, that he's been more or less heroic. He's been part of the Future Foundation. Um, he isn't always an out-and-out -out villain. Again, this is kind of early, 1980, that he hasn't quite been uh, turned into a kind of a more complex, multifaceted character that he would later become, where he's not just a villain, and he actually has a lot of kind of noble attributes as well. Uh, we've seen some of them be brought out, but not quite yet. Um... So instead, this is basically looking at what if Doctor Doom had gone a differently, a little bit differently way, and it's also the idea that he's trying to, you know, uh, stop Mephisto and save his mother's soul, etc. So what if he becomes a heroic character instead of a ecumenical kind of villainous character? And it's definitely a cool concept, although the costume he wears is kind of terrible. Um, but seeing him up go out, going up against Mephisto, seeing this different version of Doctor Doom is definitely, as I said, a very cool concept and different. Um, anyways, next up we have uh, number 23, What If the Hulk became a, had become a Barbarian? Again, we've kind of seen this. Uh, so it's basically the idea that, you know, if things don't go so well with uh, Jarella, uh, sorry, do go well with Jarella, and she become, kind of becomes a Barbarian on her world, um, we've seen this in Planet Hulk. He wasn't a Barbarian, but... He was this kind of gladiator, and this is something that was kind of really addressed here in this issue. That being said, it's not the main story. Well, it's one of the main stories in this particular issue, because you also have a whole story, which is an untold tale of the Marvel Universe, of the first celestial host as the celestials come to uh, the core reality, uh, which is written by Mark Gruenwald. Um, and then you also have a second backup, which is by... Let me just remember. Which is, what if Aunt May... 
Instead, if her nephew Peter had been bitten by that radioactive spider, written by Steve Skitties, um, and she becomes a kind of old version of Spider Girl, a Spider Old Woman, it's super weird. Um, and then issue 24, I'm surprised it took this long to get there. It was issue uh, 24 from 1980, and it's What If Spider Man Had Rescued Gwen Stacy. And when I first started reading What Ifs, this was my holy grail. This was the one I really wanted, to, one of the few that I really wanted to read. Um, and I don't, I don't actually think I ever got my hands on the actual issue for myself, but I did end up reading it, and uh, I always loved it. And and they're probably right when they say on the cover, at last, the most eagerly awaited what if of all. Because, absolutely, I mean, for, what, seven, eight years by this point, she'd been dead, and people were still sore about it. And uh, this is all about what if he had rescued her. And I love the caption on the front, whatever you do, Spider-Man, don't save her, because uh, maybe things won't be so good. And... This particular issue is written by Tony Isabella with artwork by Gil Kane. Uh, Gil Kane did the original Death of Gwen Stacy, so he's the perfect artist to do this t- this tale as we see her once again fall off. But Spider-Man instead, uh, decides to throw himself and save Gwen so she doesn't die, uh, which changes things. Um, and then she finds out that he's Peter Parker, and that doesn't go so well. He, tra- he asks her to marry him, and then she's kind of saying yes. Uh, he goes after the Green Goblin. Oh, sorry, Spider-Man goes after the Green Goblin. Um, Green Goblin kind of beats up his son, having a bit of a, a meltdown. Um, and just interesting to see like how they're able to kind of subdue uh, Norman Osborn. And it's kind of interesting that they, they he breaks down. They get him to kind of break through and kind of submerge the Goblin persona. But uh, not everything lasts, as it turns out that uh, Norman Osborn had sent a package to J- Jameson, and Jameson now knows that uh, Peter Parker is Spider-Man, and uh, things don't go well from there, so eventually Peter Parker has to go on the run. Um, very different story, kind of sad uh, to see what happens. And you also have a, the first Eternals backup by Ralph Macchio and Rick Buckler. Um, so kind of a, a sad story for Spider-Man, but Gwen Stacy is still alive in this reality. Uh, they almost get their happy ending, and then it gets spoiled. Um, I think it still stands up as still quite an enjoyable issue. Uh, again, the artwork is br- is pretty damn great by Gil Kane, and uh, it kind of answers that that what if of what if he had just jumped off that bridge to save her instead of just webbing her, and what happens next? Uh, issue twenty five, also from nineteen eighty, which is what if Thor and the Avengers battled the gods? Well, it's not like that hasn't happened before. Um, <laughs> I mean, seriously, uh, it's based on Thor one hundred thirty six. Uh, then we go to uh, what if Captain America had been elected president? Uh, this is was, was based on Captain America 250, which is a very famous issue, uh, which was the idea that what if, uh, and I, I think it was Roger Stern and, and John Byrne doing, um, their idea was, well, let's have Captain America be nominated for president. Would he take it? What would he do? And he doesn't end up doing it. He decides he, he can't possibly run. While here, in this issue, from, I guess, actually 1981 now, uh, in issue 26 of What If, he does get elected president. Now, again, the ultimate version of Captain America would eventually become president as well. So, again, once again, things in What If eventually happening. Uh, it's written by Mark Barr, Herb Trimpey doing the art. And it, basically, instead of him deciding not to become a part of politics, he does get involved for politics instead. And becomes becomes the choice for the 80s. And um, ends up... Uh, getting more than enough electoral votes. And uh, it's interesting that 
they have this leaderboard, and it's, I guess, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and America. Not Rogers, not Steve Rogers, it's Captain America. But they don't put Captain America, it just looks like America. So it looks like a lot of people are voting for America. <laughs> uh, so once he becomes president, that's when he unveils himself. He's uh, almost assassinated, but not, and then he goes on to be a president. Uh, and turns out that his, um, uh, what's it called, uh, one of his people is ends up being the Red Skull, he ends up getting captured. It turns into kind of a, a classic kind of Captain America versus Red Skull kind of adventure. Um, and then he ends up being dead. But uh, it's interesting to t- see that's, I think they could have done a little bit more with the concept, uh, him being president. And I think the if it was a modern comic, it could actually be a great miniseries or something like that to really show what the ben- the benefits of him becoming um, Captain America would be, uh, sorry becoming the president would be. Uh, issue twenty seven, the X Men ask, "What if Phoenix had not died?" Wow, this would have been pretty current because the Dark Phoenix saga was around this this era. Uh, this issue is written by Mary Jo Duffy with artwork by Jerry Bingham, and uh, here, what if Phoenix didn't die? Uh, so after she kind of goes mental, and, and this is a, both a good thing and a draw, and also a drawback of these issues. So what if is that they spend a lot of time doing a recap of everything that happened up to a certain point, and then and then they move differently. Um, so again, you spend a lot of time in recap, but seeing Phoenix going up against Galactus, going up against Terax, being this heroic character and not kind of flipping out and becoming Dark Phoenix is very cool. Uh, but eventually she does flip out and she does kill someone. In fact, I believe she kills Kitty Pride. Um, so she ends up becoming Dark Phoenix after all, but in a, through a different course of events. And eventually when she be- does become Dark Phoenix, she kills Cyclops and ends up destroying the entire Earth. So it's just kind of a weird, like, f- the way that the Phoenix kind of goes about becoming the Dark Phoenix is different. Um, but... Yeah, just kind of an interesting take on it again. Uh, issue 28. Let's see what we got here. What if Daredevil had become an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Uh, it's not the only issue in here. Uh, you also have uh, what if Ghost Rider were separated from Johnny Blaze, which, again, again now seems like something, well, obviously that happens all the time. They've been separated before, in fact, for a while. Uh, but instead, this is, the I guess, the first time they did it with Michael Fleischer writing it and Tom uh, Button or Sutton on art. I can't quite make that out. But the, uh, the the best part of this issue is the Mike W. Barr writing and Frank Miller co-plotting and penciling the Matt Murdock Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. storyline, uh, which basically shows that uh, Matt Murdock, um, when he saves someone from being hit in the face with the sludge, um, he ends up, uh, be, you know, Mr. Stark ends up taking him and bringing him to S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, and they're able to kind of monitor his responses, and he ends up becoming this agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, instead of just becoming Daredevil. Uh, and it's actually really cool seeing him as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and having um, the art by, um, uh, what's it called, uh, Frank Miller is a definite boon. And I like that in this reality also, um, Matt Murdock's dad is still alive as well. Uh, so that's why he doesn't become Daredevil and becomes an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. instead. Uh Again, it's a, that one's probably pretty well known. It's in a lot of the Frank Miller uh, paperbacks uh, reprinting his Daredevil run because it was in this era. It's in 81. It's kind of him as the height of his Daredevil era. Uh, and it's a really well-illustrated story. Uh, next up is uh, what if what if number uh, 29. What if the Avengers defeated everybody? 
uh, which is very funny. Uh, it's based on a Avengers special number two, and uh, the backup here is what if Namor never regained his memories? And this is de uh, designated Earth uh, 8110. Um, it's kind of a, a fun romp. Uh, then now issue 30, again, in the in the 90s when I started reading comics, was a, a prized issue um, that I really wanted to own. And I don't think I ever actually got myself a copy, which is really sad. But it was um, What If Spider-Man's Clone Lived? Uh, which is, again... At the time, I would have been reading these. That this is about fourteen years later when I would have been reading this, and I would say it's it's a pretty monumental issue. I mean, considering, I'm surprised that they held off this long to do something that, I mean, I would think would be kind of a no-brainer in terms of you know why wouldn't you do this story? Uh, and they waited waited till issue thirty in 1981. Uh, this is by Bill Flanagan on uh, pen, on sorry on script. And then uh, the art is by uh, Rick Buckler, Jim Mooney, and Pablo Marcos. And I like that in this one, we, it even mentions that it was uh, the battle here between the two Spider-Man was originally depicted in Amazing Spider-Man 146, sorry, 148 to 149, or Marvel Tales 125 to 126. So it had already been reprinted, and they're even referencing the reprinting. Um, the thing is here... <laughs> It's the little things. I mean, just from the first page, you have uh, the Jackal or Miles Warren watching the two Spider-Men fight while Gwen Stacy looks on in a horror, and uh, Ned Leeds is about to potentially die, although I think that he wasn't quite like right there with the bomb, but whatever. But uh, the Jackal here is not shown to be the Jackal. Um, I mean, he is, but he's Miles Warren without having worn the costume. Uh, whereas in the original issue, he was actually fully dressed as the Jackal. Uh, he, she rips the mask off and convinces him that, like, she's, she hates him, and he's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. And then uh, Spider-Man rescues Ned Leeds, and uh, one of the Spider-Men is kind of caught in the blast and put in a, in a smokestack. Well, here he's not, and... Instead, he's kind of put in this tube, and we see, um, and he ends up kind of still being alive. And it's interesting to kind of see the clone realizing that he's the clone, kind of flipping out. Um, this is all kind of stuff that you they would actually do later on. Uh, back uh, with um, what is it? Issue? Oh man, I can't even remember the exact issues. But they had this whole thing during the Clone Saga where they showed what happened right after uh, the clone of peter parker was deposited into the smokestack and we see him um you know escaping the smokestack going back home finding spider-man uh, peter parker uh hugging mary jane realizing what that must mean that he really was a clone and kind of freaking out and then going out on the road and, and taking off whereas here it's a little bit different um where they kind of work together briefly and it's a way of pe people seeing that parker can't possibly be spider-man and they're kind of both there and that they're kind of treating each other almost like kid brothers. It's kind of an interesting story because, they, again, it is kind of a happy ending that there is there is a kind of room for two Peter Parkers, more or less, and that um, and they come up with a way of saying, you know, like when the, one of them is going to be Spider-Man and one of them is going to be, uh, you know, Peter Parker on this day and then they're going to alternate and as opposed to one person doing both all the time. It's just an interesting take, and again, uh, kind of a happy one. Uh, the backup uh, in this one was uh, 
and again, a lot of these issues of the first volume had these untold tales of the Marvel Universe. So this one had a one with the Inhumans, uh, with Black Bolt and the family. Uh, what if number 31? Well, this was a prize win for a while as well because it was, it was a, a Wolverine-Hulk battle. Is What if Wolverine had killed the Hulk in their, his first appearance? Uh, it's written by Rick or Rich uh, Margopoulos. Uh, and pencils by Bob Budiansky, who I think I know more as an editor than a than an illustrator. Um, and it's just interesting to show how easy the Hulk seems to go down here uh, to Wolverine. I mean, if you're a fan of the Hulk, um, somewhere Tom Kerr is going, what? what? Wolverine can't just kill him that easily. Uh, but it's interesting here how Wolverine ends up kind of getting involved with the X-Men and Magneto in a very different way. Um and you know ends up in in some ways it's it almost has a lot to do with um um with ultimate x-men in terms of and it, which sounds weird but again the idea that uh wolverine was a villain working for magneto infiltrated the x-men and then decided to become an x-man um now much more altruistic here as opposed to in um in uh, the Ultimate Universe, where he became a hero so that he could have sex with Jean Grey, which is totally different, but um, the the core concept, again, is something that we'd already seen in What If, and then it was done again. Uh, there's another backup here, which is What If There Was No Fantastic Four, which was by Roger Stern on scripts, and Alan Kupperberg on pencils. Uh, anytime you can read some Roger Stern work, um, it's always a good day. Uh, next up is uh, Avengers, uh, sorry, What If 32, The What If the Avengers Had Become Pawns of Korvac, which again, going back to the classic Korvac storyline of the 70s, uh, Mark Grunewald did the story and layouts, and then Greg LaRock did the final artwork. Um, again, kind of a very classic style story. The house style looks great here. Um, the, you have a lot of kind of cosmic beings being involved because it's a Korvac story, and they end up becoming involved as well, like Galactus, uh, Living Tribunal, etc. Uh, I actually quite dug this and how the Avengers were kind of manipulated here. Um, I remember seeing this one all the time when I would go to uh, this uh, this uh, book, used bookstore in, in Toronto called BMV. It's uh, called uh, it's What If Dazzler had Become the Herald of Galactus, as well as What If Iron Man had was trapped in the time of King Arthur. So you get two full tales. Um, the Dazzler story by Dan Fingeroth and our work by Mike Vosberg. Uh, man, I cannot, I still can't believe how much play Dazzler got back in the day in her own ongoing, going up against characters like Galactus and Terax, uh, which is ridiculous. It's a fun, silly story, but that's really it. Uh, the Iron Man story, however, by Stephen Grant and Doug, Doug Perlin, a lot more enjoyable. Um, kind of seeing Tony Stark having to try to find out a way to use his armor in the time of uh, Arthur and Merlin. Uh, issue 34 is kind of like the comedic issue, which is, uh, stop, don't buy this issue. Um, basically, it's uh, a nice Uatu issue, where Uatu is kind of more the star. Uh, it is exceptionally silly. and In fact, it's, a, it's, it's just a, it's a humor issue. Uh, let's move forward. Issue 35 is um, an Electra issue. It's a What If Electra Had Lived. And now, again, this has been reprinted in a lot of different places. Um, it's written and penciled by Frank Miller, which is part of why you've probably read this before. Even if you don't have this particular comic, it's reprinted in a lot of uh, trade paperbacks and hardcovers of Frank Miller's work because it's uh, his take at the story, but a little bit different. So, I mean, even from that, um, I guess, the second page of the issue where you have the crosshairs on Bullseye instead of Daredevil, and it's the same kind of shot, um, 
I mean, it, it looks gorgeous because it is Frank Miller doing his own work, but doing it again and telling a different story. So that this time, Electra doesn't die, um, although things kind of go interestingly for her, uh, and her and Matt Murdock kind of take off. It's a great story. I like that Uatu is basically having the conversation with Matt Murdock. Uh, it's dark. It's a little depressing at times, but it's really well done. Then you have this Untold Tales of the Cat of the Marvel Universe, which is about the the cat people. And the only good thing about this is that it's written by Roger Stern and artwork by Steve Ditko, because otherwise it's very forgettable uh, with these weird cat people. But um, <laughs> it's a, time, a chance to see uh, 80s Steve Ditko uh, as well as early Roger Stern. Well, not even early Roger Stern, just Roger Stern in general. Uh, then you have a Yellow Jacket story, which is What If Yellow Jacket Had Died by Alan Zelometz and Greg LaRock. So you're gonna, in this What If run, you see a lot of names that you'll never see elsewhere. Uh, what If number 36, What If the, the Fantastic Four Had Not Gained Their Superpowers, and even that uh, the big cover is uh, an homage to the first issue of Fantastic Four. Very similar, but uh, but different. Uh, in fact, I love that uh, Reed Richards is still wrapped up, but now he's like, if only these ropes weren't keeping me out of the action. Um, and this particular issue is by, let me see if I can find the creative team here, John Byrne on Story and Art. So, again, this has been reprinted in many different places, but that's mainly because of the creative team, or the crea- the main creator here is so well-known and beloved. So, um, at least during his period, his take on the FF is one of the best. Uh, then you have the man called Nova uh, as a... Um, his own what if, and that's by Bill Mantlo and Mike Vosberg uh, doing the story there, which is what if Richard Ryder had not lost the power of Nova, which again is kind of funny because eventually he'd be Nova again. Uh, we have issue 37. What if uh, the beast and the thing continued to mutate, which is kind of interesting because in the thing, um, he definitely became rockier eventually um, and became like the, the rock, the extra Rocky thing around the time when, um, She-Hulk, um, sorry, sorry, Miss Marvel became the She-Thing. So it's kind of funny, again, that's something that we eventually would see. And the Beast, uh, he's devolved different times into different, uh, versions, but here he's becomes more and more of a kind of a, a bit of a mindless beast. And then finally also have, what if Galactus had turned the Silver Surfer back into Norn Rad, uh, which is kind of a fun little story as well. And again, the stories aren't as long, but they're packing more in, which is kind of cool. Uh, what If 38, which is uh, What If featuring Captain America and uh, Daredevil, plus Vision and Scarlet Witch, which, as you get three stunning sagas. But it's interesting, you get more stories, but I feel like you start getting less development. I mean, the issues are definitely getting bigger, but not all the stories are necessarily that much better. Uh, what If Sharon Carter Had Not Died? That's kind of funny because... Sharon Carter has survived and died a few times since this was originally published. Uh, issue 39 is a, always a personal favorite. What if the, the mighty Thor battled Conan the Barbarian? It's just kind of a fun issue and uh, to see them fighting, fighting with uh, Ron Wilson on pencils. Uh, issue 40, we've got Doctor. Sh- what if Doctor Strange had not become Master of the Mystic Arts? Somewhat similar to the one where he became the uh, disciple of Mormamu, but instead here, um, Baron Mordo... Um, there's no one really to stop him. Um, so you have Peter Gillis writing it with Butch Guy some pencils, and he is, his pencils are gorgeous here. Uh, there's a lot, like, just something about the way he imbues this book with a certain life. Issue 41, what if, uh, Submariner had saved Atlantis from its destiny? Uh, again, Zelonitz was doing a lot of the scripting at this point, 
Uh, Mark Silvestri doing an early tale here. Uh, it's extremely early Silvestri. In fact, if I hadn't read his name, I never would have realized that that's who did the art here. Um, I'm just kind of streaming through the last few because I don't think they're as solid as the earlier uh, issues. Uh, we have What If the Invisible Girl Had Died. So this is right around the time when she, I believe, was having a baby. Uh, yeah, What If uh, Susan Richards Died in Childbirth. Um, so Niles is in this story. Uh, we see what happens to Sue, uh, how it kind of affects everyone um, moving forward. I, In some ways, I don't feel like this, this story moves along fast enough, but I do like kind of seeing that uh, Reed Richards kind of going out on his own to go up against Annihilus is kind of cool. And he he's kind of growing a beard, which, again, he would eventually do when he was thought to be dead in the 90s. Uh, goes on Annihilus all on his own because his wife is dead. Um it's just very interesting to see what happens and uh, what goes forward and that they're both kind of dead at the end. Uh, sad, but, well, pretty interesting. But again, the stories weren't as inspired as they had been. Uh, we have What If Conan the Barbarian Were Stranded into the 20th Century, which is very similar to the original story that we they had. Um, I mean, it's basically just an alternate ending to What If Number 13, um, and also provides a bit of an extended ending to What If 32, which is um, the Avengers and um, Korvac story. Uh, then we have, let's get going forward, What If Captain America Were Revived Today? Uh, this is a common theme. They'd end up doing this again in a, in a different variation of it in What If Volume 2, issues 67 to 68, as well as 103, because they would kind of go back to that well. Um Issue 45, what if the Hulk went berserk? Yeah, that's never happened before. Um, the covers, I, I don't really like these covers around this era either. They get a little bit, they're a little strange. Peter Gillis and Ron Wilson, once again, were the creative team. Uh, still kind of imbuing the same type of uh, house style here. Uh, when the Hulk first becomes the Hulk, he's green, he goes berserk. Um, again, it doesn't feel that different from what we've seen in different versions of the Hulk, so... I've never really thought this was as interesting just because it's not doesn't feel as unique, and that's kind of what I want from the what-ifs. Uh, issue 46 is what if uh, Peter Parker's Uncle Ben had lived and Aunt May was murdered instead, which they would actually end up redoing in 2005 in one of the uh, kind of relaunched well, a series of one-shots for what-if. Um, but uh, it's still interesting to kind of see how it works out. Uh, it's written, again, by Peter Gillis, but the artwork is by Ron Friends, who really kind of makes this more memorable. The story is not the great greatest, but the art is fantastic. And kind of seeing what happens with Uncle Ben and how Uncle Ben is very different from what Aunt May is. Um, and seeing what kind of happens with Peter Parker as well, him still kind of being Spider-Man. Um, it's definitely very intriguing and in him kind of dealing with things. Uh, and not... It's just an interesting take on Spider-Man. Um, and dealing with Jameson, knowing his identity, um, and kind of, yeah, you still get to see a lot of the classic kind of tropes, but, uh, in a little bit different. Uh, and then moving forward, we have the last issue of volume one episode, sorry, issue 47. What if Loki had found the, the hammer of Thor? Um, and this, it's interesting that this is kind of like the last issue they ended up publishing again by, uh, Gillis and Kelly Jones on art. Uh, and I found this extremely, like, not very memorable at all, unfortunately. And this was the last issue that they had. Uh, so the next volume of What If 
uh, wouldn't start for another five years. And to be honest, I've always thought, as much as there, there was some really good stuff in the original volume, I've always thought that I think I favor volume two. Uh, it definitely had a lot of kind of gimmicks in it as well, but um, I'm not going to go through them all now. I think I might do that in a couple of more episodes as we're almost up on an hour. And I appreciate you letting me drone on about what if. Uh, but some of the highlights for me of uh, the next volume, both good and bad, um, or at least memorable moments, I should say, are the second issue where Daredevil kills the Kingpin, which I always thought was really cool and really well uh, illustrated. Uh, what if Steve Rogers had refused to give up being Captain America, which was obviously coming right out of, um, oh, God, what's his uh, run? I can't remember his run, but the, he's a classic uh, Captain America writer uh, from the 80s. Um, then we have uh, What If the Alien Costume Had Possessed Spider-Man, which is only really funny because it was obviously before Venom had started. Um, there's one about what if the X-Men had lost Inferno, what if Wolverine was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which, I mean, he's kind of been now. Uh, what if Iron Man had lost the Armor Wars? Like, I'll go into these on uh, in more detail later, but these are just some of the ones that I, I've always kind of enjoyed. Uh, what if Professor X had become the Juggernaut? Um, again, another, like, what if Wolverine had battled Conan? Because Conan was really big during the 80s. Uh, what if the Craven the Hunter had killed Spider-Man? I remember this is one of those issues I picked up uh, at a comic book convention when I was much younger, as well as the, what if the vision of the Avengers conquered the world? Um, then there was a two-parter. What if the Amazing Spider-Man had not made married Mary Jane? Instead, in the following issue, had married the Black Hat. Um, what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires, which is something that we ended up coming to Heroclix, as we got that particular version of Wolverine. Uh, what if the Punisher had killed Daredevil? Like, I just think there's a lot more memorable ones for me, and maybe just, like, I, I think they're of a, a, a different era, um, a little bit more timely. Like, what if Spider-Man had kept his cosmic powers? Like, a lot of these were happening in and around when these things had, were happening. Uh, you have yet another Phoenix story about what if Phoenix had not died, although it was quite different. Another comedic issue with the issue 34, which has the classic cover of uh, Uatu on the cover with aping Marilyn Monroe with a skirt, which is super disturbing. Um, then there was a whole like actual storyline called Timequake, where all these different uh, versions of uh, what if characters were kind of crossing over with each other. Anyways, these are all things I will talk about in the follow in a, uh, an upcoming uh, issue. Uh, or issue episode, um, which I think are enjoyable and, and worth talking about. Like, uh, what if the Hulk had killed Wolverine? What if the Punisher became Captain America? Which is a great cover with um, the uh, the skull of Punisher wearing the Captain America mask, which again is funny considering what happened after Civil War and Captain America's death. So these are all ones that I will talk about in future is- uh, episodes. Uh, and I think uh, are some of my favorite issues of What If, although we've talked about some very iconic and memorable ones today as well. Anyways, thank you very much for joining me for this uh, long protra- uh, protracted uh, episode. This has been episode 210 as we've been looking at uh, the What If, or it's our comic talk spotlight on uh, the first volume of What If. And uh, in an upcoming episode, we'll talk about the uh, future volumes of What If. Uh, so I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Thank you for listening to the episode. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook. Rate and review us on iTunes. And also subscribe to us on iTunes so that you can get all, get all new episodes automatically downloaded to your, um, to your podcast app. 
So thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time with our next Reviews episode for reviews from the 15th of October, which will be episode 211 coming out in probably two days. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.